Well, good morning and welcome. We're glad you're here. I received a letter this last week, and it was actually an email, and I spoke this past week about being present, being with your children as parents or grandparents. And I got this letter, and I thought, I'd like to read this to you because it was from a grandparent and their response to the message. Dear Kevin, thanks for the sermon on graceful parenting. It was a reminder how little it takes to influence your kids or grandchildren. For a few years now, I have been texting my grandchildren. I try to text them messages of encouragement, such as plan for your future carefully. That is where you are going to spend the rest of your life. Sometimes I send a one-liner joke and get a reply like, sick, grandpa, or bad, papa. The other day I was talking with one of my grandsons and asked him if he was getting my text messages. His response was, papa, I have them all written down in a notebook and I share them with my friends. They are amazed that I have a texting grandfather. It takes little to make a positive impact, even on my grandchildren. Yes, I'll keep texting. I was sharing that with my wife, and she said, you know, you should offer texting classes for grandparents. (laughs) And you laugh. My staff has no idea I'm doing this. If you are a grandparent and would like to learn how to text, call the office. Seriously, we will help you We'll probably get a grandchild to come in and teach you how to do it. (laughs) Because we really want to be practical on what it means to love um, those God has given us. Let's pray. Father, I pray you take these words, this message, and allow for them to move us to places where we would be more responsive to your love and the expression of that love through us. I pray, Holy Spirit, come in your name. Amen. I'm talking last week about parents being present. This week I'm going to talk about parents letting go, which means pulling away. I want you to watch this clip. When the McAllister family left on their Christmas vacation, they forgot one small thing. Have yourself a terrible feeling. Did you lock up? Yeah. Do we set the timers on the lights? Mm-hmm. What else will we be forgetting? Our troubles will be ours. Kevin! Ah! Home Joseph and Mary were halfway to Nazareth. And Mary asked Joseph a simple question. Uh, Joseph, uh, where's Jesus? Is he with you? You know, that's saying, no, I thought he was with you. In fact, if you look at Luke chapter 2 in these verses, it is the same kind of scenario. In verse 43, it says, after the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. And then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. And when they did not find him, Jesus, you can see that. They went back to Jerusalem to look for him. And after three days, they found him. Now, can you imagine the fright that Mary and Joseph experienced? I mean, this is not like the clip that they're halfway to to Paris. They're halfway on on a, a road trip 
from Jerusalem to Nazareth. And not only that, they haven't just lost an ordinary child. This was God's son. Okay. How would you feel being responsible for this treasure and to find out it's lost? He's lost. Well, that's kind of the the picture you have here in these verses. And I love this passage for a number of reasons, because if you go through here, you'll see that that even the best parents make mistakes. And I give you a sense of peace. You go through it and you find that every child struggles with establishing their identity with their parents. And every parent has trouble letting go. And if you read through this passage of Scripture, you get to verse 52, you'll find that the goal of parenting is to raise an adult, not just to get a child through 18 years. In fact, it says in verse 52, in Jesus, he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. It's very similar to 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 26. Another passage of scripture that, that expresses the fact that here was Samuel who was raised not to be a child, but to actually be an adult. It says the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and men. It's the idea he was skilled, competent, developed, had an established sense of identity and knew how to trust and to have faith in his God and relationship with people. Well, let's take a moment and I want to review this passage of Scripture beginning at verse 41. And you'll see in verse 41 it begins. And it's just this simple phrase. It says, every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. They were very, not just good parents, and they weren't just religious parents. They were actually very godly parents. You see, a good Jew would go to at least one of the three festivals a year. They were supposed to go up to Jerusalem, up to the mount, wherever they lived, and, and, and be a part of this festival of praise and, in a sense, a celebration of people and their God. Well, as you read this passage of Scripture, you'll note that not just Joseph went, because according to the law, only the man had to go, only the, the husband had to go. But if you read this, it says every year his parents went to Jerusalem. And it's not just Joseph and Mary, the entire family was engaged in this celebration before God. If you look at verse 42, when he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. What you need to note here is this idea of 12 years of age. It's the only account of his youth that we have in the word of God. There are what they call pseudepigraphical writings that talk about Jesus in his younger years. They are not true and accurate stories. Things like he would take clay doves and throw them in the air and they would become alive and things like that. The only account we have in the Bible is this of Jesus at 12 years of age. It's this idea in the Jewish um, faith in Jesus' day, that boy would become a man and would become an adult in a sense through a ritual which would call them a son of the covenant. It was, a, it, was an important, it was an important initiation time into adulthood. We, we have similar things today when you look at um, the Jewish faith and you have bar mitzvah, that kind of initiation into that age of adulthood. Well, at that time, Jesus is 12, and they make that very clear that he's in what they call these in-betweenness years. Even though he is initiated into being that sense of adulthood, he's in that time of life that I think was not very easy for parents to let go. And so Mary and Joseph were what I call smack dab in the middle of the letting go years of their parenting. 
In verse 43 and 44, I think this helps to explain these verses. It says, after the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, and, and notice, the boy Jesus, you see, that kind of gives you that sense. This boy, adult, stayed behind in Jerusalem. They were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day, and they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. Now, you have to wonder how that could happen, right? I mean, you think that as parents and you do a road trip, you get in the car, you look around, you make sure you have the two or three in the car, and you kind of go, how could you leave without Jesus? But what you need to understand, it was much more like that film clip we saw Home Alone, where it's a huge group of relatives and family. Not just 20 or so. In that time, it would be probably even 100 or so people who would leave Nazareth together in a caravan, kind of like the covered wagons kind of feel, and they would go together and they would be going as family and relatives and friends and the whole extended group would, 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 would make their way down to Jerusalem together and then on their way home. And as we, we saw a, a moment ago, Jesus was 12, so he's, he's moving into those adult years. And you need to know another thing about Jesus. You know, some of you have taken the strength finders test, this test that measures your five just outstanding strengths that you, you know, help you uh, be skillful in life. Well, if you look at the ones that Jesus took, his top one was responsibility. That's kind of a joke. Anyway, um, the idea is here's Jesus, this incredibly responsible young man who is, is moving into those adult years. And so there was a real sense if, if, if the person you didn't need to worry about in your family, it was Jesus. He was incredibly responsible, incredibly good kid. And so they make their way. They're moving along as a caravan, thinking that, they're, that Jesus is with them. And you get this point in the story where you've you got to just imagine Mary is turning to Joseph and say, you know, where's Jesus? And Joseph goes, oh, I thought he was with you. You know, that whole exchange. And then they realize it and they, they, they tell everyone, hey, look, you watch your kids. We're going back to find Jesus. So the story continues in verse 45 and 46. And it says, when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Jesus was lost for a total of three days. Think of it. After three days, they find him. Not at the arcade room, not at the swimming pool, not at Jerusalem Downs, those of you who have 18-year-olds know what I mean. Jesus was at the temple. I mean, it was like they came back and they find Jesus, you know, and, they, and they, it's like they go to Bethel Seminary and he's there with the, some of the sharpest, well, maybe Trinity Seminary, let's use that one, the sharpest professors. Bob Kleinschmidt, who serves on the board at Trinity, which is a part of our denomination school, said to me, you better say something like that. I didn't say that for a serve. So. But he's at, he's at the seminary. He's asking these incredible questions that are stunning and, 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 and cause them to have to think through. So in verse 47, you read this. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. The boy Jesus, who's almost an adult. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. 
Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he was saying to them. I love this exchange. We're going to talk about it a little bit further in the message. But talk about communication gap, right? They just didn't get it. Here is Jesus, a 12-year-old, teaching teachers. And here is Mary reacting out of fear, scared to death. And her fear causes her to accuse in, 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 to, in a biting way speak to Jesus. And can you feel the tension in the story? And I love it. This, this tension is really the tension I think every parent to some degree feels with the child that's growing. Because Jesus is basically saying, Mom and Dad, you don't get it. You don't understand who I truly am. And I think every child becoming an adult feels the same. And I, I want to say this, those of you who are kind of in your middle school, going into your high school teenage years. If you don't now, you may at some point feel what is in this passage. And that is that age old struggle of letting go and breaking free from your parents and parents. You probably already are feeling that process of moving from dependence to independence, which is the whole process of letting go. The whole process of releasing. I was sharing this this morning and someone after service said to me, Kevin, you don't just talk about parents and kids. Talk about all of life. People have this struggle of letting go. It's true. Well, let me share with you just three things that I think come right out of this passage that are that are important things to realize. And that is this. Letting go is a natural process. It's the natural process of growth. And what you need to kind of underline and underscore here, the issue in this natural process is what I call competence. It's competence. So as you think about it, it's not that you control till finally the age 18 and then you let go. It's that you help, like it says in Scripture, that you help that child grow in wisdom and in stature. You probably won't have a lot to do with stature. Just feed them and they'll be fine. But... What's at stake here for the child is that you help them develop skills, that you help them develop discernment and decision-making abilities so that when they are at that 18 and you let them go over that period of time, not just when they're 18, but through that process, you're bringing them to a point of competency. And what's at stake for the parent, for you, and those of you who have been in business school, management training, it is the old thing called situational leadership. It is this idea that according to the situation, your leadership skills should change. You should be moving from this point of being a dictator who then begins to direct, who then begins to coach, who then eventually consults, so that eventually you're a consulting parent to an adult child. And so what you need to understand is this continual change. When I was the executive director just a couple of years ago back at Trinity International University, and I was a part of their extension site, I met with the senior VP of admissions, and I asked him, what is one of the difficulties that you find right now with regard to admissions and in the whole process of enrollment? And he said, one of the most difficult things I have found is this whole thing of parents not letting go. You know, there's a book that was written not too long ago by a guy named Klein and Faye. And it was called Parenting with Love and Logic. Um, It's a whole idea of teaching your children responsibility. And in it, they coined this word helicopter parent. And he said, he said to me, this whole idea of helicopter parents is taking place today. Not only do they show up in kids' lives, but they show up in places they shouldn't show up so they don't allow for a responsibility to develop in their kids. There's a whole new thing that's happening, which is called Black Hawk Parenting, you know, that that military helicopter. 
that has the ability to, to rescue and go beyond boundaries that you would think would be impenetrable and do things that, that you couldn't imagine. And he was saying, in a sense, what you find is these Black Hawk helicopter kind of parents who they now go to college campuses and they'll talk to their professors for their students with regard to their grade. And you read even in the thing that's happening in the work world today, you'll have parents who will actually go across boundaries like Black Hawk helicopters into those realms where they'll talk to the manager and talk about their child's promotion or, or their child's um, pay increase. You have this, this overreaching, not letting go kind of capacity that's happening. And so the very first thing in letting go is just it's a natural process. It has to happen. You have to learn these parenting styles. And what you need to recognize is that letting go is not something that happens at age 18. It happens the day your child is born. Some of you know this, that in the church, one of the things we do is we have a dedication service. That dedication service is a letting go service. It is a time. If you read the story of Hannah in 1 Samuel, you'll find that she goes to the temple and she brings Samuel. And at a certain point, she raises the child. She prays to the Lord. And she says, now I give him to the Lord for his whole life will be given over to the Lord. You get this picture at the very first days of that child's life or in those first few weeks. The parent says, I recognize God. This gift has been given to me. I release this gift to you. And I recognize that I am a parent. That has to learn how to develop competency in this gift that you've given me. So let me share with you a few quick stages that I think parents are supposed to go through. And I'll, I'll go through this quickly. Remember, your, your, your goal here as a parent is to raise an adult, which means you help your child develop wise skills and, and discernment, which means that you have to change your leadership style. When you think about it, when a newborn is, is born, they're totally dependent and totally irresponsible. You have to be a dictator. You dictate everything. Think about it for a second. Kids are basically slobs when they're born. I mean, seriously, they give little and they take a great amount of energy, don't they? They eat when they're hungry. They sleep when they're tired. They make deposits when they feel like it. And they want to be held when they want to be held. And if you think of all the allowances you make for these little bundle of needs... Even by the age of one, they can hardly eat without getting food all over you in the house. My brother, in fact, gave me a great piece of advice when my first child was born. He said, Kevin, as you go out to restaurants and stuff, um, here's what you need to do. When you go out to eat, dress like a napkin. It was a good piece of advice. Now, some of you who are going, oh, these cute little babies. I'm not coming down to be. I'm just saying as parents, you, you are you're basically benevolent dictators. You have to be. They need you to dictate their every little step for their own health and growth. But about five to seven, you should be moving away from being just a dictator to one who is more of a director, kind of a supervisor. At this point, they're still highly dependent. They're able to get food in their mouth. They're able to get dressed. They're able to do a few things responsibly. And yet need firm direction. And they, they actually want boundaries. They want you to direct things and help them. And at this point, the responsibility is minimal. But you should be moving from this benevolent dictator through that period to being a director. But if you get to about age eight, here's where I say you start moving more to a director coach. 
Okay, so you're in those newborn years to about seven and you're kind of this dictator moving to a director. Now, about age eight, you're moving from a director to what I call a coach. And age eight is a wonderful time in the kid's life. They're all like little moms and dads, right? They are so incredible. They want to please. They want to help. They want responsibilities, often responsibilities more far greater than what they can sometimes handle. And so it's your responsibility to come alongside them and to direct them and eventually start to coach them. And through those years, you help coach them. What I find is interesting about about age 8 to 10, if you look at most parents, they walk around with a kind of a little bit of a a kind of an arrogant stride. Because they kind of walk around, because those 8 and 10-year-olds, they're amazing what they can do. They're good, they're they're somewhat responsible, they're around you. and, and, And you get this feeling when your kids are about that age that you are one of the best parents and you should be writing a book on parenting. And then age 12 happens, right? All of a sudden, age 12 happens, and you begin to start wondering, what has happened to this little angel that you created and have been pouring your life into? And there's a single answer to it, one word, hormones. It just changes their whole body. Physically, they're in this state of flux. And you begin to start seeing all these kind of changes. In fact, they, they've shown medically that there's like this hormonal wash over a child's um, brain through that process that allows for this kind of um, changing of their brain so they move to a, a different kind of structure that they actually have to coach them. You can't dictate now, but you have to coach them and help them understand consequences. For some reason, they don't get it. And you kind of wonder in some ways when they're about that age, you, you, you begin to think to yourself, um, how can they do some of the things they do? And if you're not too self-righteous, you'll just remember when you were 12. And you remember some of the things that you did. And the love and patience that your parents had for you. And around this time, you're moving to being a coach. More of a um, consultant where you participate with them and help them understand the decisions that they're making and, and building into them competencies as this director moving towards a coach. And then they hit about age 14 to 18, which you now move from not just being a, a director coach to being what I call a coach consultant. So this process changes and it changes with every child a bit differently. So this is obviously a broad sweep. But around age 14 to 15, You may want to take Mark Twain's advice when it comes to raising teenagers. Twain said this, when a kid turns 13, stick him in a barrel, nail the lid shut, feed him through the knot hole. And when he turns 16, plug the hole. I heard a little kid laughing. You wait. Um, You see, by age 16, your child is independent and, and really all they need is a bed, a cell phone car and some money right and they're good to go i mean you could try and be directive and controlling but if you haven't made the transition of letting go through these transitions of parenting styles to the point when they're getting to about 15 16 17 years of age if you're not moving more to a coach and eventually those last year or so of a consultant in their life you will find yourself in a constant battle of wills you will anyway but you'll find yourself all the time in a battle of wills because what your job has to have been was moving away and releasing and letting control go. You did it in an act of worship when the child was dedicated and you've learned how to do that through the process and you do it as you move toward these years of 16, 17. And you then move to a role of a consultant and hopefully sufficient skills to handle life are being formed. And you, as a consultant, begin to offer information. And whether you like it or not, you become a you really tend to become a spectator 
of many decisions that they make. And they're so convinced that they can handle life and its challenges that you might want to do like one poster I read says. And I just those of you in high school, you need to really listen to this because this poster says it well. Teenagers, if you're tired of being hassled by unreasonable parents, now is the time for action. Leave home and pay your own way while you still know everything. There is a sense of God naturally created this process so that this child would grow to a point where they feel like they can handle life. And you as a parent have to move from this place of complete of this child's dependency on you with all its needs to the place where you begin to release and let go. And it's scary. But don't lose sight of the fact the whole purpose of parenting in this time is to build competency. It's to raise an adult. Think about it this way, folks. Our God, our Heavenly Father, parents us in the same way. He seeks to bring experiences into our life to a point where we will then become spiritually inquisitive. And and that inquisition, you know, as we begin to ask and begin to seek and begin to find, we, we find God. Sometimes through very difficult experiences in our life and through brokenness, sometimes through blessing. We come into this relationship with God. And the whole purpose of this life to the point that we die is that God would raise us up to be spiritual adults because someday, God wants to give you and me the keys of this kingdom that we would be rulers, priests, kings with him. So his whole path is no different from what you're doing. And if you begin to do that and understand this process, you will understand it, I think, even more so with yourself. And so here's the real practical question that I want you to think about. Where are you, parent, in this process? What's the situational leadership that's needed for you as a parent managing this child to competency? Are you preparing your child with skill and appropriate decision-making responsibilities? Or are you doing everything like this hovering Black Hawk helicopter to clear the path, to rescue? Are you making certain that someday, like God wants with your life, that you can give not just the keys to a car... But you can give keys to a life well lived. So letting go is a natural process and it it requires competency. Letting go is also a painful process. And if there's any point in in this message that really connects to my heart, it's this point. Because letting go is a painful process. And the issue here, which I think is the one that trips up most parents, is identity. And I am so grateful that in God's word, he allowed for us to have a photograph of a moment in time in the life of Jesus at 12 with these parents who did the best they could with a really, really best child. And you read this and you can't help but go, wow, there's a whole lot of tension going on here. This parenting thing, you don't get through it without some bumps and bruises. Even if you're Mary and Joseph, even if you're Jesus. And so you get this picture here, letting go. It's just a tough thing to do. It is filled with the frustration and it's, there is pain. And no one gets a pass in this. So here is Jesus. He's 12 years of age, comparable in many ways to a teenager. He's called the boy Jesus, and yet he's 12, which means he's moving into adulthood. You remember that for three days, Mary and Joseph are looking for him and just 
I want you just imagine the frustration and fear you have looking for a child for three days and not being able to find him. Now, that's what's going on in the heart of Mary. And her first words betray her deep fear. Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father, I love that, your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. The Bible's so real. You, you Jesus, have scared us to death. <laughs> and Jesus' response is interesting. It almost sounds rebellious. At least it's in, insensitive sounding. He says, why were you searching for me? He asked. I mean, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? We read through this like it's a Sunday school lesson. Put yourself in that place. Jesus' answer, let me translate it. It's like, it's like, Mom, you saw the angels and the shepherds and the wise men and all these signs and you've seen all these things indicating who I really am. Don't you get it? Don't you see who I am? And you can just hear the frustration and the tension as you kind of try and unpack what's going on there. And Luke even makes his comment after he hears the story told by Mary. But they didn't understand what he was saying to them. I think Jesus wants what every child wants. It's what I call the greatest gift of letting go. It's to be known for who you are. To be loved and treasured for who you really are. To be understood. Think about that, folks. The greatest gift you can give your children. And if you really want to give that kind of gift to your kids, it requires that you have a good understanding of who you are and your own sense of identity in relationship to God and to others. It means that you may have to do some really hard work of understanding what some of the family patterns are that, that seem to constrain you or move you or, or somehow bind you. It means that you have to understand the decisions you've made and how it's impacted your life. It means that you have to come to grips with an understanding of who you are so that as you understand yourself and see yourself, there's enough boundary there that you can give that kind of boundary and identity to your child. And let me tell you what makes this so, so hard is the child doesn't even themselves understand who they are and most parents don't have a real good grasp of it and praise God he's a God of grace and that love covers a multitude of sins because if you really are involved in loving and seeking to not get into this fight but understand what your hearts are I said this and I must say this again it is so critical this issue of identity parents catch this this is the cry of every child's heart to you. Trust me and seek to know me as I am seeking to get to know myself. And that makes it painful, right? And I believe kids, teenagers, I think this is your cry often to your parents that you need to hear from your parents. That you need to listen to this because this is what I think parents, I think this is what Mary was saying. This is what your parents probably are saying. My over-controlling concern is not a statement that I don't love you and in many cases trust you. Rather, it's a fear of losing you. It's my fear of you getting hurt. It's my fear of blowing this incredible responsibility of parenting that God has given me. I really love you. You need to know this about me. Wouldn't it be wonderful if... if 
teenagers and adults, parents could come together around this and begin to understand that this is a difficult thing. And yes, there are times when parents don't trust because there's been decisions made and you've got to work that out and begin to understand it. But the deep key issue is identity of wanting to be known and understood and and, and experiencing who God has made them to be. And parents who have this responsibility that they've been letting go as a natural process, now it's painful because they don't even get fully who you are and yet they know they love you and they're concerned for you. And somehow it's negotiated that together that is so important i remember when my daughter my oldest daughter kelsey was about four or five and we would read and she was great because she'd listen and her sister two years younger would be all over the room and not listen to the reading but she was real attentive and i remember saying um, to her at one point you know kelsey i've never done this parenting thing before this is brand new for me And I recognize you've never done this growing up thing before. So we're going to make a lot of mistakes. But underneath it, let's just have lots of grace and really lots of love for one another. Because you know what? That's what I think undergirds this whole thing. I mean, that's the kind of thing that God wants to have happen in negotiating this painful process of letting go. It's about identity. It's about competence. It's about understanding who your child is and children understanding who your parents are and what they want. And then thirdly, letting go is a purifying process. There are many things in life that God uses to purify us. One of them is marriage. Another is work situations. Sometimes he brings trials into our life. And everyone who's ever been a parent, this parenting thing is a purifying process, correct? It forces you to go back into humility and trust God and say, God, I don't get it. I know you're the perfect parent. I may have blown it here and you need to do all the things in relationship with your kids. But you recognize the fact that God is the one you need to put your faith in and you need to trust in. And you need to recognize that he is faithful. And through this process, he has promised that he will guide you and direct you if you seek to have him involved in this. Because he's good. And you're not on your own. And his love does cover a multitude of sins. And your love also covers a multitude of sins. So trust God, even if you've blown it. If you haven't done the first two points well, and you're at a point where you have adult kids, God still is present and faithful. I got a letter from a parent who was wrestling with letting go. And this parent wrote this as a number of years ago said, I'm sending an attachment that I used as a visual day in and day out during a time when my husband and I had to take our hands off our son and surrender him to the Lord. After months of pain and heartache, watching our son make dangerous decisions as a young adult, it became clear the spirit was prompting us to remove our hands from him so God could really begin to work in and through him. You see, sometimes when you continue to hold on and you keep the direct and you kind of do the helicoptering stuff, you basically get in the way of what God needs to do. And from a parent's perspective, she writes, this was not an easy thing to do. During this time, I found a picture of a Jewish man worshiping at the wailing wall in in Jerusalem. Have you seen that? This wall where people wail and pray before God. And on this picture is this person with their hands up praying to God. And on one side it says, let go. On the other side it says the words, let God. And she said she would just look at that 
all the time during that. And at one point when she was looking at that and praying about it, she read a devotional. And it quoted the scriptures from Jeremiah 29:11, which say, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not calamity, to give you a future and a hope. And as she read this devotional, the, the devotional writer said, declares in capital letters, the Lord. Not suggests, not mentions the Lord, not a postscript from the Lord. The Lord declares, I know I have the plans for you. And this seems pretty certain. God knows the future and his plans are good. They will not harm us. This is the truth. God has provided a blueprint for a hopeful future. His agenda is divine and unshakable. God declares his personal plan for each of us, which promises boundless hope, parents. My response, she writes in prayer, was this. Lord, direct my son to your plan for his life. Thank you for the confidence I can have in your divine design for each of our lives. I will rest in the assurance of your provision of grace and strength and hope and love. And I release my worries and I give my son to your plans. And then she makes these final comments. Since that time, I've been blessed to see God's handiwork in my son's life. As followers of Jesus, we are profoundly blessed to have one capable of taking the things we must surrender and keep them safe and guide them in his direction. It's a promise for a parent letting go. And while it's difficult to let go, to take our grip off those we love, we have a heavenly Father's guarantee. He will care for them in a way we cannot. I spoke to a number of parents in between services who were grateful and said thank you for the message because they'd either just come back from getting their kids off to college or they were leaving to bring their kids to college. And you don't have to bring your kids to college and be at 18. You can right now as a parent say, God, as I do this and responsibly seek to naturally build competence into their life through this process. And I go through the painfulness of trying to understand their identity and know mine and yours around that. I also come to you in this purifying process again and again. And I just say, God, I release my child in your hands. You are the one that I place them in. You are faithful. You are always faithful. You will always be faithful. And so I just want to encourage you to do that. And what we're going to do this morning is close. And I've asked my, my daughter, who's uh, in her, uh, well, I don't tell your age. Anyway, my daughter to sing. And my wife accompany her. And I, it's just a song that says God's faithful. And what I want you to do is let these words of his faithfulness sink into your heart, would you? He is always faithful. He knows right where you're at right now. He knows your need, and He is here, ready to meet it.